You're listening to a podcast by the Leadership Ministry Team at Texas Methodist Foundation. TMF's Leadership Ministry connects diverse, high-capacity leaders in conversations and environments that create a network of courage, learning, and innovation in order to help the church lean into its God-appointed mission. For more information, visit tmf-fdn.org. If you look up the definition for reservoir, you will see that it is described as a natural or man-made lake or pond that is a source of water supply for an area. While that definition is accurate, it doesn't quite capture the real impact of a reservoir. In South Texas, where our family farm is located, reservoirs are a saving grace for every living thing, especially in times of drought. Reservoirs expand the resilience of the land to sustain life until a new normal reveals itself. Reservoirs also support life in another way. Often, reservoirs are sources of recreation, economic activity, and renewal. A reservoir lies ready, waiting until it is needed. In a reservoir, there is always more than enough. In our time of extreme disruption, I believe we need these reservoirs of the Spirit that can sustain people of faith as they navigate the changing cultural landscape expand their capacity for resilience in healthy communities, and create new communities in situations where a threshold has been crossed. Such reservoirs enlarge both our personal and collective capacity for resilience and help disciples of Jesus live as people of hope, purpose, and courage. That's what this podcast is about for people of faith to thrive in such a time and continue to build toward the world that God imagines. I believe we will need to drink deeply from reservoirs of the Spirit. Welcome to Reservoirs of Resilience. I'm Lisa Greenwood, Vice President of Leadership Ministry at TMF. You just heard Bishop Janice Huey reading from her recent publication entitled Reservoirs of Resilience, which inspired this podcast. I'm so glad you're joining us for this fourth episode of our six episode series. In this episode, you'll hear first from Bishop Huey, who will share an excerpt from her writing on resilience. Then we'll dig deeper into the topic with our guest and end the episode with our key takeaways from the conversation. Our topic for this episode is The Reservoir of Courage, and our guest is Gil Rendell, whose book Quietly Courageous has profoundly impacted our work and the work of so many leaders in ministry and beyond. There's no doubt that courage is required for leaders today. And Gil does an exceptional job, both in the book and in our conversation, of offering provocative takeaways for leaders about how to lead with courage in such a time as this. You may want to have your notepad ready for this conversation with Gil. But first, to introduce our topic for this episode, let's listen to an excerpt from Bishop Huey's writing on the Reservoir of Courage. This is a tough time for Christian leaders. It is much easier 
for leaders to remain silent than to engage their followers in meaningful conversation about the relationship between discipleship and the challenges facing individuals, families, and our societies in this season. In this unfolding context, quiet courage calls for leaders to be willing to speak and act in ways that followers will likely experience as uncomfortable, even painful, and will not reward the leader for seeking to help them step forward toward their new reality. Such action is profoundly demanding and it requires drinking from a deep spiritual reservoir of courage. Far too often, we have defined courage as the warrior riding into battle, or the firefighters climbing the 300 floors of the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. In Christian discipleship, those modeling that understanding of courage live primarily in the past, the people we call saints and martyrs, Stephen, Joan of Arc, Bonhoeffer. Those singular actions of giving one's life on behalf of others undeniably call forth bravery and courage. However, I want to suggest that for disciples of Jesus in our day, courage is not the unique, the marvelous, or the exception. Rather, it is ordinary Christians moving toward the pain and discomfort in our world instead of remaining comfortable in our safe places. It is our willingness to move toward mystery and deep encounters with the holy. It is risking the security of what we possess now to envision, create, and build the world that God imagines. It is a readiness to endure the loneliness of leadership rather than going along with the crowd. Courage is embodied in taking the next faithful step and moving forward. Joining us in our conversation about the Reservoir of Courage is our good friend, Gil Rendell. Gil is an author, speaker, facilitator, and influential thought leader who has spent more than 40 years working across the religious landscape. He recently retired as a senior vice president with the Texas Methodist Foundation and previously served as senior consultant and director of consulting for the Alban Institute. As an ordained minister with a PhD in organizational and group dynamics, Gil has worked with congregations across denominations. He's the author of a number of books, including most recently, Quietly Courageous, Leading the Church in a Changing World, which we will dig into today as we talk about courage. Gil, we always love spending time with you. As one of our friends, Matt Russell, says, you are a rock star meets Yoda. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's such a great description of you. And anyway, uh, we are so glad you're here. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you. Thank you. And um, I probably lean uh, more on the side of Yoda, especially in terms of the way he talks. And so we're good. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay, so let's start with this. 
in your mind, what's the connection between courage and resilience? Uh, I, I, I think where I would uh, want to start with that is that, um, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of work on courage over the years. And I think that the courage means that uh, in, in so many different ways, we have to be able to step outside of a lot of the assumptions uh, that we work with and learn how to do that, which we don't yet know. And all of that takes courage. And we can talk about that. But the connection at the moment for me is that uh, it's hard to ignore the fact that we are now in this uh, seismic shift. Whether you want to talk about uh, the pandemic, whether you want to talk about uh, you know the kind of populism of 2016 and 2020, whether you want to talk about the resurgence of uh, white supremacy, we are in this moment in which all things have shifted and many of our assumptions have changed. And it's the resilience that now is at the center of so much of what we have to attend to. And I'm sure we'll get into that a lot. And so, you know, at any time, uh, if you're leading an institution that it's under stress, it takes a tremendous amount of courage. But the resilience is the piece for me that says that the courage is in line with trying to keep your system, your, your institution, purposeful. Mm-hmm. purpose driven because there is so much there either in terms of anxiety or temptation that is going to take your attention and distract you and so this resilience of being able to stand steady and and uh, and the way that that plays out so um i think they're always connected but but right now i think it is resilience that is leading the way gil your book is entitled quietly courageous what is quiet courage and why is it needed today and maybe you could begin by painting a picture for our listeners with the story you tell in your book about Nashon. Well, let me, let me start with the story because I've always loved that. The story came to me from uh, a friend who was a rabbi that I've worked with um, for a good period of time, a couple of decades ago. And he was talking about the stories of the Midrash and he pulled this out, out and it was germane to what we were happening. But it's the story of uh, when the, um, the Israelites were escaping Egypt and they are you know, fleeing Egypt. They come to the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, they are there at the banks of the sea. If you look behind them, the Egyptians are on their chariots, you know, kind of trying to come get them and all. And so it's a very anxious moment. Mm-hmm. And in the Midrash, it says that the Israelites arrived at the bank and the waters did not part. Okay. And so they're, they're in that really anxious moment. And then the Midrash says that the first thing they did is that all of the chiefs of the 12 tribes sat down and they had a conversation about who was going to go in the water first. Now, every time I've talked about this, I've always said, I have been to that church meeting so many times. (laughs) You know, uh, we don't know what to do, so we're going to have a committee meeting. Right. Okay, and so they argue and they argue and they argue until Nashon, who is actually the son of one of the, uh, uh, the tribal chiefs, Nashon simply gets up and he starts walking into the water. And he takes a few steps in and nothing happens. He, he walks into his ankles, he walks into his knees and the water doesn't part, up to his waist, up to his shoulders, up to his chin, and the waters do not part. And then what the Midrash suggests is that when he took the next step that would have put his nose underwater, Mm -hmm. that's when the waters parted. 
Now, that's the Midrash, where they tell the, the stories, you know, and they complete, uh, you know, all of the empty spaces that might be around and that kind of business. But I just think that that is almost the archetype of the quiet courage I'm talking about. Uh, there's nothing blustery about that. He's not trying to organize anybody. Uh, he's not, you know, raising a flag and say, come follow me. He's not saying to everybody, I've got the solution. He simply, you know, remembers what's the purpose that we're here for and what's the promise that we have from God. And let's take a few steps and see where it takes us. Yeah. And that's the kind of quiet courage. I mean, and that that happens so quietly when leaders do it. It isn't as if they're, you know, uh, they're managing themselves among other things, when they're able to do that. And so uh, I think that that's terribly important in this very anxious time. I love that. And I, I love that when you're talking about quiet courage, you're not talking about passive courage. Oh, no. You see that Nation is taking steps. And even to the point where it's, it's so anxiety-producing, his nose is about to go underwater, he still takes the next needed right. step. right. right. Well, and, and think about that. And this, I mean, this is one of the reasons why you know, stories are so helpful because they, they help us to play this stuff out. But all the tribal chiefs are sitting there in an argument. So Nashon has to be sitting there saying to himself, what's going on? Mm-hmm. What's happening here? Why, why are we watching this instead of, okay. So he's doing all of that work in the back of his mind. This is what Hypus talks about the balcony work. Sometimes that balcony work has to happen in the back of our heads. Right. And you can just imagine he's doing all this work. You know, what is this all about? And so, and then he gets up and he just starts to move. So, yeah. I love that. Okay. So that reminds me of one of the other things I've heard you talk about that leaders right now, particularly needing to have the courage to disturb the system. Right. You often say disturb the system in a purposeful direction. Right. Right. And I've also heard you talk about that one of the ways we do that is to ask questions, like to ask a good question. So can you say more about that? And, and, and perhaps even some questions that leaders might be asking in this season of disruption. Well, and yeah, maybe we can kind of play with that part altogether. But, you know, there's uh, a part here that uh, we are now, uh, again, if you are the leader of an institution, institutions are desperately important in our culture. They are the way we order our lives and the way we order our lives together. But at the same time, they're in crisis because we don't trust them. Right. All right. Okay. So given that, if you are a leader of an institution, it is a terribly anxious moment. And one of the reasons it's an anxious moment is that there is no one who can tell you how to move ahead. There's no one who can tell you what the answer is here. This is why you have to go for quiet courage rather than, you know, the bombast of of following someone who says, I'm the expert, you know, I've got this all figured out. Okay. So if you're in that kind of a situation, you really do need to uh, be able to move in a direction, not knowing that you're, you're clearly, or not knowing exactly where you're going. Now, uh, I hope you're hearing in all of this how anxious this is. Right. Uh, you know, I would feel this all the time when I was consulting with, uh, you know, with annual conferences and, and with uh, cabinets and everything. And, 
and, you know, keep asking questions as if I knew something. And in fact, I don't know any more than anybody else, but you have to keep moving. And so I used to uh, tell this story about uh, a young boy who lived on a farm. And on a very, very dark night, his mother said to him, uh, go on out and check the barn door and make sure it's locked. And so the little boy walks out and he comes back in about 10 seconds. And his mother says, what's wrong? And he says, well, it's too dark. I can't see the barn. And she says, well, okay, here, take the flashlight, go on out. He comes back in about 15 seconds. And so she says, what's wrong? And he says, the flashlight's not strong enough. I can't see the barn. She said, you don't need to see the barn. Just walk to the end of the light. And when you walk to the end of the light, you've gone down a path far enough to see more. Okay. All of that means that we are in a position now that we can walk to the end of the light. And all we need to do as leaders is to know that generally we are walking in the right direction. Okay. This is where it comes back to purpose for me. Because the the North Star that we're following here is purpose. We're not sure where it's going to go. We're not sure what it's going to look like. That's why resilience is so important. But if we're not sure what it's going to look like, as long as we are following the purpose and the outcomes that are connected to that purpose, we only have to walk far enough down the road to see what the next steps are. And so, you know, there is this tentativeness about leadership. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be you know, have to be terribly courageous to say we're going to go in that direction, not knowing if you're right. It's the leaning into not knowing that you're right, mm-hmm. like not trying to hide that, not trying to cover it, but just owning um, enough courage to step into that right. kind of unknowing. Right, and that's the that seems to me like the value of asking the questions, um, but not being afraid to take the next step right alongside that. Sure, and yeah. and you were saying, you know, what are questions that go with that? Well, you know, I mean, it, it depends upon your setting. But one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is that uh, the better part of my ministry has been been me trying to help others by answering institutional questions. And so a lot of my life has been spent trying to kind of address institutional questions such as, you know, how do we get more members? How do we fund, uh, you know, this uh, institution? Uh, You know, what kind of program should we use? Uh, How do you manage, uh, you know, staff? um, Those are all institutional questions. They're all inside questions. But purposeful questions have to do with the outcome. Mm -hmm. Why are we here? And so how do we change, uh, you know, kind of institutional questions into purposeful questions? Right. Well, you know, I mean, I I don't know exactly what that question might look like in a given setting. But, uh, you know, I've always said that it's important to pay attention to uh, the questions we ask and the language you use to ask it. You know, is it in the past tense, the present tense or the future tense that we ask a question? You know, are we asking questions about how are we going to get back to something? Mm-hmm. Or right. are we asking questions about what would it look like, you know, you know, in the year ahead or two years ahead, or what difference will there be if we work on this, you know, somewhere down the line? The questions we ask and how we ask them are terribly important. 
And to follow up on that a bit, you know, related to it, you've talked and taught many of us a lot about the importance of conversation and that it's in conversation together that we learn to step forward. Could you talk a little bit about the relationship between conversation and quiet courage and purpose for that? Mm -hmm. Well, at at the heart of conversation is the fact that uh, we are trying to, uh, to learn uh, what we don't yet know how to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there is that old adage that says when people don't know um, what to do, they do what they know, mm-hmm. uh, which is exactly the tribal chief sitting down to have a committee meeting because they don't know how else to handle the situation. Okay. So if we're in a situation where uh, we have some sense of what a good question would be, now we have to learn how to get there. Well, the day the expert is over, nobody, nobody's been out there, uh, you know, uh, to be able to come back and say, here's what you do. And so we learn by conversation, by staying in conversation. And this comes right out of a theory of dialogue. The way I love to tell it, you know, comes from, uh, you know, from the theory itself, but it's, if you and I are in conversation, you know, uh, I might say something to you or ask you a question and in the way that you respond, I will know that you did not understand my question. And so I will reframe the question, at which point now you know that I didn't understand your answer. <laughs> All right. Now, I mean, okay, so that's both of us working on this same thing, but from different perspectives. And what the theory on, on the conversation or dialogue says that if we stay in that conversation long enough, we will teach each other things that neither one of us knew. Yes. Right, right. We complete, mm-hmm. you know, there's a gestalt that's involved here. We complete something of which we are only a part. Right. Again, uh, we're back to courage mm-hmm. because it takes a tremendous amount of uh, self-understanding and presence and courage to manage your own anxiety uh, in a situation where you're presenting a question to other people for which you have no answer and you have to learn along with them. Right. Uh, Because what you're doing is you're making everybody anxious at that point. (laughs) Right. And none of us likes to be anxious. And so I I think you're you're spot on when you're talking about how we have to manage our own anxiety when actually what we're doing is stepping into that anxiety um, precisely, asking a question yeah. we don't know the answer to. <laughs> there yeah. was a, a thing that used to happen all the time, and, and this happened with uh, in, in uh, the Texas conference repeatedly when I was working with the, the cabinet <laughs> there. Uh, someone would ask me a question, you know, do you have an example of that? Whatever we were talking about, mm-hmm. uh, they would say to me, do you have an example of that? And I would always say, of, of sure, of course I do. Who wants to go first? <laughs> right. Okay. Well, quite often what that meant is I had no clue of where, where to point. I had no examples at all. Mm-hmm. But if you gave it, you know, 30 seconds, we'd have two examples out on the table. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I was learning from that uh, simply by, you know, kind of holding the space for it. Right. Another uh, just sort of brilliant observation about leadership right now and leading in this stance is is really mining for the wisdom in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I had a, a friend, uh, Ian Evison, one of the, <laughs> one 
one of the most brilliant people I've ever worked with. Uh, and one of the things that he would talk about is that uh, quite often as leaders, our work is to help the work of the people become transparent to them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In other words, our role is simply to hold up what the people are already working on and what they're already learning and help them to figure it out. And so quite often leaders have to be able to say to a group, uh, you know, uh, do you know that you already know this? And then just repeat back what they've discovered. Mm -hmm. It strikes me that that's a really important posture for leaders right now. If they're going to help build resilience in their congregations, to hold up that that mirror, if you will, and say, you know this, you Mm -hmm. have this Mm -hmm. in you, and to draw it out, help draw it out, as opposed to saying this is what you need to know and this is where we're going, really trusting the people in the room. Yeah, yeah. You spend a chunk of time talking about temptations Mm -hmm. that leaders and and people fall into. And so I want to quote you real quick and then just get you to respond to it. So you write, Temptations are most delicious because they feel as if they are quickly rewarded. However, the rewards eventually do us in, reducing us to a skeleton because we've actually been feasting off ourselves, our own purpose, our own hope, our own future. It is so good and so vivid and frankly, really challenging. So will you just say more about uh, temptations that leaders face and, and how we can recognize them and not give in to them and, and just riff sure, on that a little sure. bit, will you, Gil? Well, yeah, sure. And okay, so let me let me start with the fact that uh, I cribbed that quote off somebody else. <laughs> uh, and uh, Frederick Beekner is someone who I just think was a master of language, and he was talking about forgiveness, and he would say that, you know, we would smack our lips at, at you know, the, um, the response that we could give once we've been offended and how we could, you know, diminish somebody else by the wit and the charm that we have. And we would just love that banquet. And he said, you have to realize that um, uh, the skeleton at the banquet is you. You've been feasting mm-hmm. off yourself. Right. So that has stuck with me for a long time. And that is one of the things about temptations that, um, you know, they, they do feel very rich and rewarding, but actually you're feeding off yourself. Mm. Uh, the temptations I talked about, you know, were nostalgia and empathy and tiredness. And they're temptations because they are rich in rewards. Uh, say more about guess, what you mean by that. Well, I mean, okay, so let's say that, um, well, let's go to the tiredness. That's one of the places that uh, it's easiest seen. Lots of times leaders in an organization will not know what to do. And so one of the things that they do is that they simply fill up their time with doing. Uh, if I can, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to how to address the situation here or how to turn our situation around. However, uh, you know, I certainly couldn't do more because look at my calendar. My schedule mm-hmm. is filled, you know, every hour. Is, and, and, you know, and you will find leaders who will share their calendars with people to, you know, you know show them how busy they are. Well, that's, uh, that's kind of like running in place as fast as you can mainly because you don't know what else to do. But think about the rewards that are there. 
oh, my pastor works harder than anybody I've ever seen. And, you know, you have all these kind of interpersonal rewards right. and right. satisfactions and everything mm-hmm. that are kind of egging you on. And what you've actually done is distracted yourself from purposeful questions. You've made yeah, yourself wow. so busy you don't have to ask the questions. And so these temptations, uh, you know, are, um, are, are major distractions. Uh, the same with nostalgia. People, oh, well, think about it this way. Yeah, you know, we're in this pandemic situation here in Pennsylvania. Uh, all of our, our congregations, uh, well, they, federally, they cannot be shut down. But, you know, the word out there from the state government and from uh, all other quarters is that, you know, if at all pos- possible, please do not worship in public uh, because all other non-essentials, all, all of the non-essentials have been shut down, and you, you know, and all that we know about that. Okay. And so one of the conversations that's going on here, um, you know, consistently in, in my own con- congregation as well, is when are we going to get back to the building? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a nostalgic question. When can we go back to be who we once were? Right. And it has no acknowledgement of the fact that the pandemic is in the process of changing us, right. both individually and as a community. You know, if, if you want to get tired, you know, just have four more committee meetings about, you know, what is it going to take to open the building back up again? Or if you want to be resilient and start asking yourself, what is the purpose of what we do in that building? And how will we now do it if we don't have access to the building? You know, I mean, so it's a it's a shift in the kind of work. Another one of those shifts um, that you're talking about has to do with center and edge. And you spent so much of your time working with folks who are in the center and at the same time nudging us, sometimes pushing us um, um, to begin to connect with people at the edge, to the innovators, to listen from them, to learn from them, to um, engage with them. I mean, that's I mean, that's so important. I mean, for, it's where new ideas come from. But would you talk a little more um, about the relationship between co- quiet courage and this focus on the edge, especially from people who are in the center who tend to focus in on the middle? Okay. Well, okay. And, you know, and jump in and help me here because, I mean, y'all, you know, are on this same place of trying to stand at the edge no matter where we might be related to the institution at the center. But um, you know, let's let's at least begin by saying that the uh, uh, the center of any institution uh, is where leadership spends most of its time, mm-hmm. and that's because that's where the rules are, that's where the norms are, that's where all the practices are kept, that's where you know the kind of like the center stability of the organization is all there in the center. And one of the dilemmas of leaders is that they are, in fact, responsible for that center. Uh, one of the dilemmas of being uh, identified as a leader, to be appointed as a leader, to be elected as a leader, to be hired as a leader, is that no matter how much you want to change that organization, you're now responsible for it. You're responsible for all that stuff in the center, all those rules and everything. And, and it is not a very malleable position. It doesn't change. It's very rigid. Right. But out at the edge of your organization, where it encounters its larger environment, is where there's an awful lot of freedom. You're farther away from the rules. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're trying to engage, you know, across your boundary with that other 
that other, whether it's a person or a community or whatever, you have to be much more adaptive and, and adaptable. There's a lot of change that happens there. And so, uh, you know, um, if you're a leader, you have to learn how to stand in the center and move at least one foot toward the edge. You have to learn how to, uh, <laughs> you all can edit this out, but I <laughs> always tell the bishops uh, that, uh, you know, there's a certain way to read uh, the book of discipline. Uh, and that is that in every section, you read the purpose statement and then you put, that, put the book down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because what comes after that are all the rules. That's exactly And right. all the limits and right. all the boundaries. Okay. Right. And so what we're talking about here is how do you keep one foot on purpose, but then walk with that in other places out at the edge so that you're free to try new things. Uh, again, you know, this, this resonates for me both in terms of the courage and the resilience. How do you remain faithful to, to the position to which you have been called, mm-hmm. but at the same time not make the, the structure sacred? To what this organization or institution is supposed to be doing. There's a tremendous amount of cultural interplay here as well, but, uh, but you can imagine, and, and you know, and, and uh, uh, it, it really does get played out uh, dramatically with our bishops uh, because, uh, you know, as our bishops across the church try to uh, open up their organization or their, their annual conference or their congregations for change, as soon as you make somebody too anxious or you make somebody upset, they immediately stand up, raise their hand and say, you know, um, I want to call this into question because it's not in the rule book. Right. And so, uh, you know, leaders get pulled back right. to the center. They get pulled back by the center. Right. It takes an awful lot of courage to be right. able to stand out at the edge and manage that resistance. Right. So helpful. So helpful. So many great nuggets of wisdom in the midst of this last half hour or so. And I'm, um, I'm just wondering if you have guidance for leaders of congregations in this season. Um, how can they draw on a reservoir of courage? <laughs> yeah, don't I have any guidance. Well, after all I've said, the answer is no, I don't. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, uh, it, it, it's it's much more of a um, uh, a willingness to step into a place mm-hmm. rather than any particular kind of information. Sure. And so, in this particular season, stay close to your spirit. Mm-hmm. Stay yeah. close to where your spirit is. You know, remember uh, whether you're whether you're a, 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 an individual or a congregation. Remember why you were called to ministry. You know, remember the why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can start asking yourself, how will that why now play itself out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I don't think there's any wisdom in this stuff. It's a matter of going back to the basics. Or do we have the courage to go back and start over again from the very uh, basics? Right. And then you go from there. Yeah. So I'm really struck. I mean, we have so much conversation about innovation and experimentation and trying the new thing, but I'm really struck with your by your words that that remind us that when we have one foot on our purpose, like really grounded, 
that's actually when we're better equipped to do this innovation and experimentation or, right. or step right. into courage, take that next scary well, step. Yeah. Well, we also need some people who have no feet in the center so that's that they are free to go out there and play completely. And then, and then we can have the conversation, you know, the dialogue about that which you have found, to what extent does it belong to us as well? And we can go back and forth and learn from each other. And so we yeah. need some people at the center. We, we need an awful lot of people who are willing to have at least one foot at the edge. But we need yeah. some free floaters too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. And and I, I think some of those folks around the edge, I mean, there's they have a foot planted not in the center, but in their purpose still, right? right? right I mean, right. that purpose is the kind of consistent thing. The center doesn't own the purpose, in other words, right? right? right. It, it exists in both those places. That's great. Yep. Yep. I love it. Okay. The last thing that we're asking all our guests is to complete these three sentences. This is sort of a rapid fire round. So just complete the sentence <laughs> in whatever way comes to mind, right? Are you ready? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Here's the first. Resilience is? Resilience is um, standing steady. Uh, and and uh, keeping connected to purpose. So when I think of resilience, I think of? Well, with that steadiness, I think of uh, learning uh, new things in new ways. Uh, you know, the thing about resilience is, uh, okay, it's more than a sentence. Can I explain my it's okay. answer? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, You're allowed to no, riff a little. The thing about resilience is resilience is holding steady on the core while all of the rest of it changes. Yeah. Okay. Right. You know, and so a lot of this is you know, resilience is learning new things. It's learning new things around that core that you're trying to, uh, you know, kind of uh, preserve and push. You may have actually answered the third one, but well, you if go. you want to cultivate resilience. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, keeping conversations, uh, find, find a good purposeful question to follow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this has been such a good conversation with you, Gil. Thank yes, you. As always. You're a as treasure. Always. It's great. It's good to be with you all again. I appreciate you so much. We love it. We love it. Thank you. So what a great conversation with Gil on the Reservoir of Courage. So Bishop, what are your reflections or takeaways from today? Well, Gil has been such a mentor and friend um, for, with me for many years. So for me, there were lots of there were lots of signs here and sentences that resonated deeply with me. One of the key takeaways for me is a reminder of the importance of purpose, because so many of us, and that's included me, have been engaged in institutions for most of our lives. The questions that first come to our mind um, when we um, see a need to change are often about how much, how many. What Gil reminds us to do is, is to ask better questions. And the better question is, what is our purpose? What is our purpose? And, and it takes courage to ask that question because when our purpose might not line up with the activities that are going on, I mean, the sense of responsibility for that begins to unfold. So I love that he he talks about purpose. Like we know that purpose gives us direction. He talks about the fact that it, it, it doesn't tell us exactly 
what it's going to look like. It points us in generally the right direction, right? And so he says a leader today has to be terribly courageous to say we're going in that direction, not knowing if they're right. And when we go in that direction, I mean, we're trying to learn what we don't know. And Gil, how how do people learn what they don't know? Well, Gil is saying that you put one foot in front of the other. You're part of a community and you're in dialogue with each other. And that one step at a time, you learn what you don't know. Yeah. And, And that if we stay in the conversation long enough... We'll teach each other things that neither of us knew. I love that he says, day of the expert is over. So we learn through conversation. Right. Absolutely right. I, I think the other piece that really just stood out for me is, is his focus on the center and the edge. Mm-hmm. He talks about the function of a leader. The leader's responsible for the center. So we're always, um, those in leadership, whether they're clergy or lay, have are standing in the center with their, but in order to be focused on purpose, to ask the right questions, to be moving out, one foot has to be at, uh, moving toward the edge because the edge is the boundary. It's where you interact with others and it is the place where new possibilities come to life. Yeah, and that takes courage. So good. Well, thank you all for listening. And I hope this podcast has sparked in you an idea or a question that might lead to a conversation with a friend or with your team. And if you've received some nourishment from listening today, please share it with your friends. Leave us a review. And until next time, may you drink deeply from the reservoirs of hope, of purpose, and courage. Reservoirs of Resilience is a production of TMF's Leadership Ministry with excellent editing support from Truthwork Media. The beautiful music in our episode is from Billy Crockett. Listen to more Billy's music on YouTube and on billycrockett.com. Make sure to view our show notes and website for more information about all of our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White, and from all of us at TMF's Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening.